after discussing certain people and certain uh, civilizations how they misuse their volition and their freedom in such a way that they were not in harmony with the order of the cosmos and they were not in sync with Allah's Amr so that created a disturbance in the cosmos and it brought down certain forms of punishment so there the irada of insan the ikhtiyar and the will if you want of human beings impacts the will in the cosmos if they are in sync then everything runs smoothly if they're not in sync and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's amr in the cosmos will override their amr and their volition and it will come to destroy them. In the next few ayat there is another introduction to how the cosmos actually works and who is the creator of that nilam, of that system, and how he wants us to behave. And uh, that will come at the conclusion of the uh, surah, uh, inshallah. So here in this ayah, وَالسَّمَاءَ بَنَيْنَاهَا بِأَيْدٍ وَإِنَّا لَمُسِعُونَ That indeed, uh, the heaven, uh, we have made it. Hmm? We have built it. So it is building. And obviously a building requires an architect, a designer, an engineer, whatever skill sets that is required in order to build this huge astronomical cosmos. And that is going to be done with a lot of power. Be aided with might and power and dexterity and uh, potency and knowledge and wisdom and all of that. Meaning that if you look at the heavens, then you have to be amazed that all of this is designed with a purpose and with skill, as I said, the intricacies and everything else that comes along with it. So, 
there, then you must marvel at the creator of the heaven, which is the uh, objective of a human being and human beings' existence and so on. So this would be aided with might and power, with force, uh, along with the, as I said, the hikmah, the wisdom. This is not just brute force, it is very organized and very controlled force. So so it takes a lot of strength and stamina. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very different. He does things because he does things with his will and his will is implemented with ease and at the same time with force. But he doesn't get tired. That protecting the system and the nidham of the heavens and the earth does not tire him out. He's not fatigued. He does not get tired by creating uh, all of this because he is above time, above space, and above everything. So he does it simply through his will, his irada, and so on. And indeed, we are definitely expanding, that we are the ones that expand our amr, our affair, our irada, and we create more and more, and so on. Um, there's a certain notion that this refers to the expansion of the universe. You could make a case, but who cares? We're not here to justify any scientific you know, uh, anatomy of the universe. It might be a case that you'd have to say that in the grammar there, that there is a mafool and an object in the centers, which is assumed. But there's no object written or recited, so we don't have to assume it, and so on. The expansion, stretching, all of that, that's another meaning. Some people give the stretch and stretch, you stretch until it actually rips apart. Right. He stretch it so much that it tears and it rips apart. And obviously that's Qiyamah. The infinite expansion, maybe, is possible. But as I've said before, don't go down that road. It's not conclusive. Okay, you will get stuck and you'll annoy yourself and you'll annoy people when you don't know. It's not, about the, it's not about the physics here. It's not about the physics. It's about Allah's will, Allah's power, which is what another tafsir of the Musi'un means, that the classical scholars saw this as an expression of qudra and so on. But if you want to say it is expanding, then, as I said, then you're stretching, you're stretching in such a way that it eventually is going to tear from the middle, from the crease. And that, as I said, is Qiyamah. Possible explanations, not concrete. You leave it for what it is and you always stay within the parameters of the Mutaqaddimin, whatever the early scholars, first three generations, how they understood the words of the Qur'an is the 
what you call guideline, to stay within those guidelines because they were much more aware of the meanings of the Quran and Wahi than we are. Anyway, this has to do with Allah's might, Allah's wisdom, Allah's ability to create bana, banaina. And as far as the earth, uh, we kind of spread it hmm? from the word farash, which means something like a spread, a carpet, as a, a place where you can rest and you can uh, walk without any kind of fear of falling down and so on. And we, we are so good in arranging and uh, giving comfort to human beings through the spreading of the earth. Even though it's a globe, you can still walk on it very easily. Obviously, you're going to bring your physics into it, your astronomy into it, and that's fine. Those will be extensions of the same idea, that it is Allah who is doing this, and it's Allah who has facilitated human beings to live in between the heavens and earth. So that is Allah's facilitation for human life. And with that life comes your, your irada, your volition, your ikhtiyar, which is one of the major themes of the surah. That Allah has provided you with uh, these facilities and uh, with these props, basically, on the stage of your existence. And on the stage of your existence, you are a performer, you're a player. So you have to act, which is called amal. Your performance is an act. Uh, so therefore, Allah wants human beings to perform in such a way that they don't bring the heavens down. You don't want to bring the roof down, but also you don't want to bring the heavens down either. You don't want to expedite qiyamah uh, by destroying the nizam of the cosmos and the universe and beyond. So Allah has uh, made this. Human beings will destroy it and so on. There's an ayah which is very relevant to many discussions of today. It was relevant to those people in the way it was relevant. The meaning will not change. The meaning stays almost kind of universal. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one and everything he creates in terms of species and types, they are in pairs. Allah remains one. Allah is wahid. Allah is fard. Allah maintains his uniqueness and his oneness. And the proof of that is in his creation. So the creation will always be in pairs. But the creator is always one. Because he is not in need of a contrast. He is not in need of a companion. He is not in need of anyone, an opponent in front of him. He exists because he is. And everything else will need something in order to coexist. All creation it will not stay by itself. It will have qualities that are essential, properties that are essential, and they are 
properties that are accidental, but they will both come together and they will exist to make the whole being. Every being besides Allah needs something else in order to either be perfect or in order just to exist. So then, and everything we have created, zawjain, pairs, opposites, whatever you can think of. Yeah, so there'll always be opposites, so you cannot live alone. Allah created Adam and made sure there was there a partner with him. So you cannot live in Jannah alone. Because only Allah lives alone. Only Allah exists alone. So you need a partner. <laughs> right? So if Allah wanted human beings to live alone and to be kind of aloof from society and hermits, he would not have created this nizam in Jannah where Adam came with Hawa. That is the human order. And that's the order of creation. And that's the way human beings should see themselves, see creation, and not assume they're one and only, they're unique. You're not unique. So that's why An-Nikahu min Sunnati is the most appropriate hadith to establish the humanness and the naturalness and the supreme ihsan in human life. So you have to manage with the other. One complements, the other supplements, and then you come together to make one unit. So that's the idea, the zawj. The zawj obviously also means a husband and a wife. <laughs> right? Yeah. Husband and wife. The best example of how Allah, uh, he exists alone, and how the best of creation, human beings, they cannot exist alone. It's not possible. So every prophet married, even Isa, when he comes back, uh, inshallah, he will get married. He won't exist alone. Yeah? Yeah, obviously there are one exception, two exceptions. Uh, if you find those exceptions, you let me know, I'll tell you the answer. <laughs> well, until then, I won't tell you. Anyway. So everything is in pairs, everything is in uh, one and twos, and that is now the proof for Tawheed. The oneness of Allah is uh, now proven by His creation. So the creation is the proof for Allah. The creation is the proof for Tawheed. And so on, so that if, if you want to go into an abstract kind of dialogue or discussion about the oneness of Allah, then the best way to do it is see yourselves as creation. When you see, you're not God. Nobody can claim they're God. I'm not sure anyone does, but if they do, then they also will need a partner. They'll need somebody in order for them to exist and appreciate them. If you're God, then you don't need anybody to appreciate you. But human beings... When they say they're God, they need people to appreciate that they are the false God. So Firaun saying, Ana Rabbukum ala he needed people there yeah, in order to say that you are the Lord. <laughs> he was now in need. He was muhtaj of others. But Allah is not. Inna Allah 
Laghaniyun anil alamin. He exists whether people worship him or don't worship him. It don't make any difference to his being. And so this ayah is full of ibrah, uh, full of nasiha, uh, full of uh, thinking, pondering, taking heed. So that you may now think and you may take a lesson from this that as much as you think you're the one and only, there's always somebody out there, either a rival or contrast or somebody else who's going to be close to you so that they will facilitate your being and your existence. And so, on. so think about it in terms of your dependence on one. You should be dependent on Allah, not on Allah's creation. But you need Allah's creation to exist. You need food, drink, water, sleep. That's all Allah's creation. So you can't say you're one and only, that you're unique. So there is, is, is to bring you down to earth, literally. That you have to submit to the reality that you need another creation or many other forms of creation to exist, whereas Allah doesn't need any creation uh, in order to exist. So this is now the height of uh, servitude, the height of humbleness, uh, the height of understanding your need. Uh, for Allah and for other forms of creation, so that you have, you remember tathakkarun from the word dhikr. You remember, you remember, and you take heed, you take a lesson from who you are, uh, what you are, who you need, what you need, and who Allah is, and so on, so that you now uh, draw closer to Allah by understanding your position in the cosmos. So your position in the cosmos is unique in the sense that your ikhtiyar has an influence on the whole cosmos. A human being's volition affects everything from here to the arsh. So in that sense, you have to be super careful how you go about it. It's, it's a mindset. It's how you think of yourself. The, the performance and the action is now a subsequent result of what you think. So here the aqidah is the most important. That's where the dhikr is. As you will see later on in the surah, the most important aqidah is how do you see yourself and how do you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once you've understood that you're in total need of Allah, fulfill rule Allah. That's how you get the sequence. And the father in Arabic, the fa'alitaqib. It comes as a result of something. As a result of you understanding, knowing, recognizing that you are in total need of Allah, so now run away to Allah. Flee to Allah. Fafir ru in Allah. Mm, yeah. Try and catch Allah's uh, presence in your life, in your mind, and so on. Run away to Him. Usually you run away from something. Fafirru min Allah, that doesn't happen. Fafirru ilallah, escape to Allah. 
that people need an escape nowadays, which everybody does. You need time out, you need to uh, spend time with yourself, for yourself, you need to reflect, you need to uh, reset, you need to calm down, you need to think. So Allah says, if you do that, then come to me. Don't go to the khalq, because that will confuse you even more. So don't run away to alcohol, don't run away to drugs, don't run away to you know, living a hedonist lifestyle, don't run away to, you know, food, drink, clothing, etc. Don't run away to the creation, run away to the creator. Because the creator, you know, his wingspan is so, so huge that whichever way you turn, there's Allah. So run away to Allah, that's a mindset. Focus your attention, your direction, your tawajjuh to Allah. Inni wajjah tawajjuh lilladhi fatar as-samawati ulad. Ibrahim alayhi salam I'm now facing my attention towards Allah. If you face your attention towards the creation, the creation is plenty. So you'll get confused. So which one do you hang on to? <laughs> Do you hang on to money? Do you hang on to your job? Do you hang on to your prestige? Do you hang on to your wife and children? Do you hang on to your parents? Do you hang on to your clan? Do you hang on to anything else? Everything else is created. Allah is the creator. So if you want to escape, escape into a greater reality than the one you're in. Escape from this position to a greater position, a position of strength that can only be Allah. Yeah, so this is the ideal, obviously. It doesn't work too much nowadays with the, uh, the mental problems, the psychological problems. People, people want, you know, answers in creation. So they want answers to their anxiety, to their, you know, predicaments by uh, drugs or by counseling or something. But for the true muwahid, for the true monotheist, when he knows that my solution lies in Allah and with Allah, then he will face Allah, and as you will see at the end of the surah, through ibadah, uh, through worship. So now this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now addressing the kuffar, the mushrikun, that you're looking for comfort in things that do not provide you comfort. Allah hasn't placed sukoon and barakah in his creation. It doesn't exist. So why look for something where it simply does not exist? The solution is in the creator. And why? Because look how Allah has created the heavens and the earth. It's flawless. His system is flawless. So why you go into a system, meaning human beings, who are anything but flawless, and trying to resolve your problems through them, try and resolve your problems through dua, through dhikr, through ibadah, through fasting, through sadaqah, by doing the things that are all Islamic. Yeah. So this is the meaning of fulfill So after you've understood that you are in need of Allah, then run away towards him. Escape towards him. He is the ultimate reality where you can escape. This is all internal, as a mindset, is a 
what you call it, a worldview, if you want. So that is how Islam now provides you with time out. Salat is a time out from what? From Krishna. <laughs> when you do Salat, you say, Allah, what are you doing? You throw the creation out, and Allah is there, then you should be looking at Allah when you worship Him. So when you want to see how Allah can also give you some of the power with which He created the heavens. I mean, you think it's a joke to create the heavens? <laughs> Yeah, it is beyond our imagination to grasp any part of creation that is beyond us. So now he's the one who's going to create peace, sukun, you know, fortitude and courage and bravery and all the good qualities that human beings need to develop and inculcate anyway. So this fafirru ilallah. Escape towards Allah, flee towards Allah. Indeed, I am for you an open warner. I'm warning you and I'm open about it. I'm clear about it, that my message is not ambiguous, is not enigmatic. There's no, what you call it, enigma in the message of the Quran and the Sunnah. It's very clear cut. This is a straight path. If you follow the devil... He is your enemy, so you should stay away from your enemy and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I am now a clear warner for you in this world view, <coughs> developing the mindset. Again, going back to the idea that this is a Makki surah, and there are barely 80 Muslims on this time, and they're being given this universal value of, you know, seeking help from Allah. And once they understood that, they were then allowed to have Sharia in Medina, meaning the Nidhami Taqwini, through Tawheed has to be established, your thinking has to be established, premised on Allah's system in the cosmos, in the universe and beyond, that once you understood how Allah works, then you must understand how you work. And the way you work is that you worship Allah and then you gain access from the divine creation into yourselves and then you're able to overcome your nafs. Because Sharia is about overcoming the nafs. It's not about making the nafs, the Sharia your nafs. <laughs> right? Which is a very subtle point which people won't understand so we won't say too much about it. But anyway, you don't worship Islam. That's the bottom line. You do not worship Islam. You worship Allah. You practice Islam. All right? And that's the fundamental mistake made by the fundamentalist, that they worship Islam. It's not about Islam. It's about Allah. Please Allah. And within the rules of fiqh, you do your sharia. So you have to follow the sharia if you want to worship Allah. But do you follow sharia in a violent way? Or do you impose Sharia in a violent way? Violence is not there in the cosmos. Everything's in sync. <laughs> right? Bi'aydin, as I mentioned, is not just brute force. It is force through wisdom. And it is sophisticated. It is organized. It is not chaotic. Where violence is chaotic. Right? Violence is what? Chaotic. So they need to learn sabr, as they say in Makkah. This is... <laughs> 
yeah, calm down. On if the, the earth now, that's the idea for Ni'mal Mahidun. That the, the earth, if it shakes, right, then you won't be able to do anything. So if your nafs is shaking with anger and pride and greed and impatience, you won't get anything out of it. Calm down. On this calmness, you can do whatever you want. You can build. Yeah, but if the foundations is always shaking underneath the house, the house will collapse. That's why there's no barakah with violence. It does not work with violence. Yeah, as, as I said, the fundamental mistake made by the fundamentalists that you need to be with iman, that you need to be in sync with Allah. You need to be with Allah in order to perform the tasks and duties that Allah wants you to perform and do, and that is follow the straight path. The straight path will lead you to Allah, obviously through Jannah, inshallah, but the objective is to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is what this ayah is saying. Yeah? The next one. Do not take anyone else besides Allah as a God. Don't make any objective your, your divine. The divine is devoid of creation. There's no part of creation with the divine. Yeah. So the, the more sincere, the more ikhlas you have, uh, the more you'll be in sync with what Allah wants from you. So there should be no partner. You don't worship idols. Uh, you don't worship people. You don't worship personalities. You don't worship systems. Ideologies. Uh, these are all other than Allah. Mindunillah. These are other than Allah. Allah is there, right there to receive you at the gates of Jannah. Inni lakum minhu Indeed, I am for you an open warner. I warn you, my warning is open, it is clear, uh, it is, uh, as I said, it is not enigmatic, uh, there's no ambiguity in the message, worship Allah and you will enter Jannah. Yeah? Uh, that's a simple formula, that you must be in sync with the Amr of Allah, like the cosmos is in sync with the Amr of Allah, if you do that, then you'll be successful. That doesn't mean to say you won't go, go through uh, trials hmm? and yeah, tribulations. Uh, so now the next ayah speaks about that. That just because you worship Allah doesn't mean to say Allah won't test you. And the test is to see how stable you are, is to measure your stability, is to measure your commitment to the truth and the commitment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, commitment to serving Allah, and so on. So that is a big test. And no one is tested more than prophets, alayhim salam and they're the closest to Allah, but they're tested the most. Just to show other human beings that these are role models, that it doesn't matter what kind of turbulence you're going through, what kind of you know, problem you're going through, uh, what kind of anxiety you're going through, Allah is there, he's always there. So you must stabilize your iman with Allah and then continue to worship Allah and in that you must not falter, you must not waver and you must not be shaken by circumstances and events 
outside of you since now Allah is now reassuring the Prophet sallallahu alayhi Thus, in this way of thinking, you will then realize that مَا أَتَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ that there have been no Rasul who has come before you or before them, except that people call them magicians or they call them mad. Yeah. They were mental. Yeah. So meaning that if you think that because you worship Allah and you are focused on Allah, and you make Allah's ibadah, that there will be no test. Every Rasul that came was tested the way you are tested, as a general rule, as a general principle. Yeah? So I don't think you have to be that mathematical about the ayah and scientific about the ayah. Then you, you bring in now examples where Rasul was not called a majnoon, or Rasul was not called a you know, magician like Adam. I don't think the ayah is meant. The murad of Allah is not that. It is kind of mathematical that 100% of whoever came was called this. Now, even if that was the case, it is obviously because Allah's word, it has to be true, then you have to answer that question. That not, there were at least, Adam al Islam was not that way. Then you have to, all you call it, be uh, qualify Adam al-Islam's risala, and so on. So the risala will be to those people who were initially uh, worshipping others besides Allah, like the Prophet uh, was a rasul, is a rasul, because he came initially to the Quraysh, and the Quraysh were worshipping other than Allah, and they were definitely using slurs and slanders against the Prophet So the net idea of the ayah is basically to reassure the Prophet that these trials and tribulations, they are temporary, they're not forever. Allah is eternal, He is forever, so stick to Allah. Hold fast to the rope of Allah, and inshallah, you will be successful, which is exactly what happened a few years later after this uh, ayah was revealed, and so on. Yeah. So, this is how we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying to the Prophet that the, the way to reform the nidham and the system uh, in sync with the, the, the cosmos is to remain firm and to have constancy istiqamah in your belief that Allah is the one and Allah is in, 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 in the one you call it within space and time everything changes okay so the uh, <laughs> fundamental premise in our aqidah is temporary it's not eternal so anything that's not eternal is bound to change it changes by definition. Yeah. Only Allah doesn't change. So only Allah is eternal, He won't change. Everything else is not eternal, so it will change. It will go through change. So even you and your seerah, Mubarakah Rasulullah, is going to change. There'll one day you'll be there in the doldrums and people will slander you, accuse you, make you feel the lowliest of the low. 
Then another day in the Medina, Alat Fatih Makkah, you'll be on the highest mountain. This is a change. So the prophets represent the most change. And that's why they're tested, because testing means you change every day. You tested here, you tested here, you tested here. Okay, how do you, what do you do when you lose some money? That's one type of change. What do you do when you fail a business? Another type of change. What do you do when you succeed? That's another type of change. <laughs> what do you do when your people around you love you? That's another change. What do you do when people don't love you? That's another change. Is it fluctuation within time and space is normal. You cannot escape it as a human being. It will happen to you. Get over that. That you want now just one monotonous life, um, what do you call it, path. Yeah, it's, it's a meandering river. It goes this way and that way. And that is the course of your life. So now with this change, establish this permanency of Allah's being, Allah's existence, and uh, aim for istiqama, that Allah is my Lord. Okay, you do this, you do that, you do this, and you do that. That is what Allah wants you to do with this nidham. So the nidham of change is natural in creation. And within that, you will have to adapt. When the seasons change, as you see, mashallah, Chicago is blessed with uh, capricious weather where you're forced to change and adjust, acquiesce for them. Yeah. Ten days ago, it was minus 10. It's 50 degrees. What the heck? Your body doesn't know what's happening. Right? If there's sun in February, all the birds will come out. Then in March, they go back to wherever they came. Because it's cold. So nature adapts to nature, and it's constantly adapting, changing. The key is now you run away to Allah, and you say this. So when it's a cold day, you make this dua, which the Prophet made. And when it's hot, you make this dua, when the Prophet felt very hot. That's not, the dua is your istikhama that you're adapting to the change Allah is creating right in front of you. This is at a macro level. On a micro level, your own individual changes in your 24 hours a day is a remembrance for you, is a dhikr. How do you adapt to this change? Yeah? MashaAllah, you go to a restaurant and the food is horrible. <laughs> Allah says, pay for it. Right? The shopkeeper won't let you go. You've got to pay for it. I don't care how it tastes. Then you go to another restaurant, which is a dive. The food is great. So you enjoy it. It's micro. Micromanaging change is much more difficult than the macro. So the, the macro, the, most of the Quraysh were okay. We can understand that Allah is the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's the macro. They were actually okay with it. It was in the micro that they lost their way. Oh, well, why does Allah now send rain? Why does he need to send rain? Why is he in charge of rain? Oh, Allah is the one who gives shifa and cure. Why is he doing that? These are micro 
things that he doesn't need. He, he should have managers and directors and CEOs. <laughs> Why is one being responsible for everything? They couldn't understand that. So that's why with the prophets, السلام, as Allah made them role models, Allah made them go through every micro change. Everything. Right? That's why they're role models. That's why they are tested the most, so that they would become paradigms for other human beings to follow. So Yusuf al-Islam in his story, you see all the twists in the plot, and you see Nuh al-Islam over 950 years. Imagine how many micro-changes he went through. So you see, this is about understanding that within the house that Allah has built, the roof, the sky, okay, the floor is the earth. Then you have all these uh, rooms and apartments and all the accents and this room is for the kitchen and this room is the bedroom, this is the bathroom. So you have different compartments and different apartments in this huge, huge house that Allah subhanahu wa has built. So if you need now to adjust, then you have to go th- to different rooms and ask Allah uh, from that point of view. Allah, I'm sick today, please cure me. Allah, I need food today. Please give me food. Allah, I need success in this venture today. So Allah, give me success in this venture. So you have to move around. But you, you, you don't break the house down. You don't destroy the walls. Okay? You don't break up the floor. And you don't burn the house. So that's the idea here. That لا تجعلوا مع الله Don't make anybody else in charge of your micro affairs either. And then every Rasul has been taunted. So likewise, you'll be taunted. It's just part of the, the whole nidham of change, the whole nidham of you know, space and time. It's meant this way, and so on. Is it that they have all plotted and schemed, initially meaning in human history, have human beings conspired that they will now abuse the prophets at the Have they given each other instruction that one generation passes on this instruction to the next generation? Hey, look, if somebody comes and tells you he's a prophet of God, then you must do this. No, it's just a kind of natural convention, you can say. So the con- human convention is there. They don't have now a salad from one generation to another to give them that authority to say this. The fact of the matter is that they are very rebellious and defiant type of people. Their personalities are the same. Right? So the nafs is the same. It doesn't matter what kind of change you go through the human nafs is for all intensive purposes the same. Right? And you have the five levels or the four levels of the nafs. Nafs is the same. Whether you're American or Chinese, the nafs is the same. Just because you have external factors, environment, education, pollution, they say that this is now endemic and then this is now relative, this is now what you call a contextual to the Chinese or contextual to the American or, and so on. The nafs is the same. Is amara bisu constantly ordering the human being 
to evil. It is the same. It's not going to change. The expression will change because of the context. The actual disease is the same. So for those of you who are into this kind of stuff, just be clear that you read this ayah. It is rebellion, it is resistance, it is kufr, it is denial that makes them this way. So, in one context, they will reject this, and they will become deniers this way. In another context, context, they will say this, and they will behave this way, and they will act and react this way. But the bottom line is, is rebellion against Allah, Rebellion against the Rasul. That's the bottom line. Ta'hoon. Balhum khawman ta'hoon. So you don't have to become that sophisticated, nitty-gritty, and go into Freudian psychology to understand that when somebody commits a sin, it is a sin. It has nothing to do with where and how they commit the sin. It has to do with the idea that they're rebellious. They don't want to please Allah. That's the bottom line. So can you cure that disease? So the prophets come to cure the actual disease. Sometimes the manifestations manifestations too. That's obviously through sharia. You have to abide by the sharia, at least in the dhahi, so that you know you're not rebelling against the system. And then you must turn away from them. Uh, do not be too intimidated by the rebellion of people against you and against the Amr of Allah. That is just the way they are. You are not to be blamed. Okay? You are not blameworthy because they don't believe you. Obviously, human beings, when they want to do something and they do something, they do want results. The Prophet is no different. He's preaching, he's giving da'wah, He's making dua for everybody. He's appeasing, pleasing, doing everything, bending over backwards to make sure people try and believe and accept the word. So he believes, again, a sign of pure sincerity, sincerity, that he's the reason for them not believing. He believes that he has failed in delivering the message. And that's the difference between someone who follows the prophetic method of reform and someone who follows his nafs. Someone who follows his nafs, while they're doing this, they will give up and they will taunt the person they are trying to reform. What does the prophet do? He blames himself. I failed. Right? See the difference? <laughs> you don't blame the subjects. You blame yourself. That's the prophet's model. It's an ideal which no other human being can actually reach. Everybody blames everybody else. <laughs> I've tried ten times talking to this person and I, I give up. That's the nafs model. Okay, that's not the Islamic model. The Sufis, mashallah, in the mutakhirin, they are called Sufis. In the mutakaddimin, they were just ulama. They had the same. Everything was the same. There was no, you know what do you call it, dichotomy and discipline, is the same. They, they make dua for the people who reject them, and they go out of the way to try and please them. And they also blame themselves that uh, I have failed, because I failed, they didn't understand what I'm saying. 
right? So this famaanta bimalum, you have to read it carefully at a deeper level, and you will see. And this is proven by the other ayat. فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِرٌ نَفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ إِلَّا مِؤْمِنُوا بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَسْفَارِهِمْ Are you going to destroy yourself that they don't believe? <laughs> right? Yeah. So a prophet will do everything to make sure the subject comes around. And he, the prophet will never blame the subject. So Allah is saying, you are not to blame. It's a divine reassurance at the very highest level. To the Prophet relax, it's okay. We will not blame you if they don't believe. But this only happens to a Prophet. Don't try and extend it to yourself and say, yeah, I'll be like the Prophet. I'm not to be blamed. <laughs> You're nowhere near that. You're in a different universe. Okay, just stay on the ground where you belong. Where you belong. Oh, yeah. And then, meaning this ayah has to be read in the, uh, what do you call, overall scheme of seerah and the overall understanding of our uh, core Islamic values, which we call al-mafhum al-Islami, the Islamic concept. Then in the Islamic concept, there are certain terms are used, and this term, dhikra and tathkir, is used primarily for believers. For non-believers, it is uh, da'wa, tabliq. For believers, it is tazkir. Fadhakir fa'inna dhikrat anfa'ul mu'minim. You cannot remind somebody who doesn't believe, except in a very macro, macro sense. But for those who do believe, you remind them to become better, and so on. Here lies saying, remind, continue to remind people. Okay, because you do have assets. Okay. Somebody who comes into the shop is a customer, he's a client. Somebody who's not in the shop is not a customer, he's not a client. Okay. So you can't give out samples to somebody who's outside the shop. You can give samples to somebody inside the shop. Right? I mean, you do. These guys in the mall, they give you these, you know, what do you call it, perfume swatches to smell, to come inside the shop. But what I'm saying is that your asset is the one who is now a Muslim. Your greatest asset is who? The one who believes. Concentrate on them, for the kir, as mentioned in Surah Abbas. Don't worry too much about the Quraysh, they're not even in your shop. Why, why worry about them? Unless it's just part of your overall scheme of tabliq, which is another discipline, very much needed in the ummah uh, today. But once you have your assets, you cannot neglect them. And you must have special sessions and meetings and tathkir and waz and nasiha and ta'aleem for those who are Muslim. فَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ الذِّكْرَ تَنْفَعُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Because reminding benefits the believer. Tabliq benefits the non-believer and tathkir benefits the believer. You understand? So it's a terminology. Don't mix the two together. Once you know that, then you won't have the other questions that people raise about the ayah. It's very simple. Don't confuse it with uh, other forms of, what do you call it, confusing questions. Not every question people raise is actually a question. 
The question is, if the question is out of skepticism or confusion, you don't answer the question because it creates more confusion. What you do is you remove the skepticism and you remove the confusion. So the question goes away. So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala previously says that if your mission of da'wah seems to be failing, it's not failing because you have assets. You have 80 believers with you. It may seem very small and minuscule with the cosmos, but it's not. It is historic. These 87, 89, 90, how many ever made hijrah, they, they are historic manifestations of Allah's fadl. That's why they have the highest maqam in aqidah. Which group of Muslims have the highest maqam? The Muhajirun, right? Nobody as a group has a higher status in the eyes of Allah as Muslims than the Muhajirun. And how many were there? Less than a hundred. So it's not the numbers game. So you have to, as I, you have to understand it in the, the total mafhum, not piecemeal. You have to see it as the part of the bigger picture that these Muslims if you concentrate on them and you develop them, then they will be the ones who will change the world. So you don't need 120,000 just yet. You'll get 120,000 at Hajj al At this point, you only need So focus on them, fadakkir. Remind them, train them, discipline them, advise them, teach them, educate them. For in the dhikrat and for al-mu'mineen, because once you remind this group, all other believers will benefit. Everybody benefits from the Muhajirun, even the Ansar. The Ansar, only Ansar, because they help the Muhajirun. Right? So within the whole group of Sahaba, this is the most important group you can discipline and organize and show them the right way of behavior, mindset, worldview, akhlaq ethics and morals, but there was no sharia there. <laughs> There's no Islam there in Mecca, except perhaps after Miraj, when the, the, the hukum for Salat came, and that was later on, much later. So on. So here, uh, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now preparing the table for the ultimate hukum, which hopefully we will do next week, inshallah. Jazakumullah khayyuh, subhanallah, wa hamdi, wa subhanakumullah, wa hamdi, 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 w